0: Upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's com slash upgrade.
1: We think that part of the problem is the idea to put in place ESG strategies, right? Where you're leading with environmental or social or governance, right? A lot of the funds are being built based on the concept of ESG, which is great. But These ESGs are scorecards and they're black boxes. So different providers will tell you very different things and there's no consensus. So you're basically saying, oh, gee, let's try to represent this theme according to the data that we get, the companies that are scoring high according to A, B, and C. And you end up with products that really, like you're saying, Janice, they don't have a very clear purpose and they don't have a very clear impact. So what do we do?
0: You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazon, so if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Hola, mi gente. Welcome back to another episode of Yo Quiero Dinero, the podcast. I'm your host, Janice, and you are listening to the last episode of 2021. Oh, my God, I cannot believe it. We are done with season three. It has been an amazing, amazing season of growth, of transformation. We've had so many amazing guests in the podcast and today's guest is no exception. So you are listening to episode 120, how to be an environmentally conscious investor with Gabriella Herculano, co-founder and CEO of iClimate Earth. Gabby Herculano is chief executive officer and co-founder at iClimate Earth, a London-based impact green fintech. Their mission is to redefine climate change investments by focusing on the companies that can enable CO2 emission avoidance. Not only do they hope to shift the narrative around green investing, focusing on the companies with products and services that can transition the world to a low-carbon economy, but they also bring to market investment products with tangible and quantifiable impacts. iClima's exchange-traded funds invest in technology-forward innovators who are setting the trends in decarbonization of the planet and decentralization of the power sector. iClima's metric for impact is potential avoided emissions. The investment world has an important role to play in decarbonization by channeling funds into companies making the most impact, and that's exactly what iClima is focused on, investing in companies that can decarbonize the planet. Most people constantly have 10,000 things they're trying to pay attention to, and if you're like me, what's in your 401k or your IRA typically isn't at the top of that list, but there are plenty of regular investors who want to make sure that they're not harming the planet with their investments, and they think that in the long term, responsible investing will be more lucrative. So maybe you've explored something called an ESG or an environmental social governance fund, which is meant to allow you to invest more responsibly, if you will, in air quotes. Now, the problem is that there's no set definition around what qualifies as ESG. But so people are just kind of investing in this stuff because they think that it's a good move, even if it's going to cost more money. So they're inclined to trust that the label on the product they're putting their money in is accurate And if it says ESG, then they want to believe it. A lot of the companies that are making these investment products are very aware of that tendency, and they know that they might be able to charge higher fees on ESG products because investors are willing to swallow them if they think it's for the greater good, even if what's in the product isn't much different than what's in any run-of-the-mill or lower-cost fund. There's a lot of greenwashing. There's a lot of wokewashing. There's a lot of washing within this category of ESG. Now, it doesn't mean that it's impossible to do better, it just means that it's harder than it seems. Most people are invested and they have no idea what they're actually invested in because most of us are invested in mutual funds, which are these basket of stocks, and they only tell you on the perspective what are the top 10 holdings. You may hold companies that are profiting from burning down the rainforests, profiting from private prisons, profiting from climate destruction, and you have no idea. It's very difficult to figure out. So that's why I wanted to bring this episode to you. When I found out about iClima and the company mission to really put a solid, quantifiable, verifiable metric on what it means to be a green fund, I thought it was worth talking about with her and we get into all of the details about how they decide what companies qualify to be in this fund, how they track the actual efficacy of the investments, and you may be surprised there are some very well-known companies that qualify as good investments, not just like financially, but also because they're actually being responsible towards the planet. So if you have wondered how you can be a more environmentally conscious investor, don't change the channel. This episode is for you. Gabriella. welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So when I found out about you, your team reached out to me. And as soon as I saw that you're working in this space that so many people who listen to the podcast want to learn more about, which is the ESG investing space, I was like, okay, I got to talk to you. So first off, let's start off with an introduction of who you are.
1: Sure. Yeah, my name is Gabriela Irculano. I was born in Brazil from a Portuguese family. So one day I'll be able to have a conversation with you about business in Spanish. Not quite there yet, <laughs> but working on that. But I've been abroad for a really long time. I spent 10 years in the States. I went to business school in the States. I went to Wharton. I started my career in New York working at Lehman Brothers in the 90s. So I've been in this space for a really long time. My background is in renewable energy. So after business school, I moved to Europe to join G Capital, and we were doing a lot of very exciting investments in what is called utility scale. So bigger projects, solar, wind. And we started looking at offshore wind back in 2003, 2004, and completely different market. We needed the governments to support. We needed subsidy. It was an idea that renewables at some point could potentially, who knows, become competitive. And then you fast forward about 15 years, and we got to that, what's called parity between renewable energy and fossil fuel. So that's very much my background. I've been an investor and structuring investments for a really long time, and I do leverage that background in renewable energy. But what me and my co-founders and the three of us, we all went to work and we all have that common denominator, we felt very strongly about two years ago that the investments for climate change were not relevant. They were not structured the way that we think is the right way. And that was problem number one. And problem number two, when you think about how to make financial products more democratic, right? We are big believers in ETF. Decarbonization is our why, and ETF is our what and how. For a variety of reasons, ETF have grown in popularity. It's a very robust instrument. It's very liquid. It's very transparent. It's very cost effective, right? It's affordable. So it's really shaking up the industry. But the ETFs, in this space, are not doing what we think they should be doing. So we just thought that we would attempt to do it ourselves. So we launched our first uh, ETFs in Europe first. We're almost two years old. And then in July, we crossed the Atlantic, so to speak, and we launched the first two ETFs at the New York Stock Exchange on the same day. Wow,
0: that's amazing. Congratulations. I want to take a step back, though, because I'm just astounded by your story. How a Latina, ends up at Wharton Business School. Like, tell me about your childhood. Did you ever see this for yourself?
1: That's a great question. Well so when you grow up in a developing country, right? And Brazil is really big, infrastructure is always an issue, right? We lack infrastructure. That is the what is constraining our growth, in the lack of investment, the lack of capital. So that was always something that I was deeply interested in. And then Wall Street was like, oh, gosh, like that's where (laughs) the movers and shakers really make things happen. And there's a little bit of an element of being at the right place at the right time. A friend of mine would like to say that luck works for those that are working very hard. I was definitely doing my part I was a good student and all of that good stuff. But I was working at a Brazilian investment bank in the mid-90s, right after I graduated from college and I went to college in Brazil. And they partner up with Lehman. Lehman Brothers had a fantastic M&A practice in the power and the telecom space. And we were privatizing the power sector and the telecom space in Brazil in the 90s, much needed. I have a strong view that the government is not an entrepreneurial kind of entity that leave that to the private sector. So we privatized the telecom in Brazil in one go. And Lehman did the sell side is when you advise the seller on how you go about doing that. And they needed Brazilians, right, to be able to work for the government. You had to speak the language. I think the closest thing that they could find to a bilingual, who always have a bit of an accent, but uh, I could... Both things, and I loved it. I was working a hundred hours a week; is no joke. When you're an analyst, you love when they send you from New York to Brazil because you get to sleep on the plane, right? (laughs) It's like, oh, I'm going to sleep so well. You're on the plane, so that was that a hundred hours a week. And I proved myself. And I have to say, I love the states in so many levels. But it's the land of opportunity, right? I mean, here I was, a small Brazilian in the middle of all these men. They always treated me with utmost respect, never had any issues on that front. And they would hear me out. And I guess I just roll up my sleeves and I work really hard. My boss Elima went to Wharton. He said, you got to visit. It's a really good school. And when I did, I fell in love. And that sometimes I think in life, Janice, and I think maybe you relate to that. When you become a little bit obsessed about something, right, you <laughs> just roll up your sleeves and you're like, I got to make this happen. So I did everything that I could to get into Wharton. And I did, and then I got that boost, right, out of uh, an MBA from a finance school, and I got lots of offers from Goldman, Lehman, Merrill, JP Morgan, you know, the banking was booming back then. And that's when I decided to move to the buy side, right, to really, instead of just advising the buyers and the sellers, actually make the investments yourself. So yeah, that brought me to where we are today. I love it. I'm
0: very inspired, and I know that people listening to this are. So let's talk about iClima, and what is it? What are you guys hoping to accomplish through this venture? Yeah,
1: that is a great question. Love the question. We want to shift the narrative, and we want to explain a few things. One is that climate change mitigation is not a political topic in our minds. Mitigating climate change is a fact. Science is telling us, right, in the States, you guys are suffering this big time, right? Fires, flooding, uh, high temperatures, blizzards, and all of that. It's a fact. And we want to shift the narrative. It's not a political topic in our minds. It's very much an economic decision. And we'll go through that in more detail. And then again, my background is in renewable energy, but we have this strong view that it takes much more than renewable energy to mitigate climate change. And we wanted to represent this. We wanted to Shed the light on all the innovation that is happening across the space, and we'll talk about that in more detail. I'm very keen on giving your audience that example of what is it that we're talking about. So bringing to market a representation of the relevant solutions, and those solutions, we are at the bottom of what people call the S-shaped curve, right? The curve of adoption. It takes time for a technology to scale up, and when it does, boom, that's it, right? It's like cell phones. Internet. The internet. <laughs> exactly, right? So many of that. And then we look back and we're like, how did we live before this? But these solutions, they make economic sense. And then there's a lot of positive externalities that come out of these solutions. And one of them is the decarbonization. But we don't think that people should embrace these solutions just because they're tree huggers, right? And because they want what is good for the planet. That in itself is great. It's very noble. But the reason why we're so hopeful actually that this is going to happen because the solutions make economic sense like we were just talking about Janice right how that renewable energy we achieved parity a couple of years ago and now it's the most competitive source of electricity is solar right and battery and you put the two together and you will see that the grid in the US the biggest machine ever built is the US grid Right. Mm-hmm. It's a monster. It's so complex. and It's so big and it's so beautiful. And that is being changed from decentralized based on fossil fuel installations. Right. This coal, fire, power plants, this natural gas, very large installations because scale was important to this decentralized, a very decentralized based on renewable energy because it makes economic sense. And the technology is there. And we're converging, this digitalization, right, that is enabling the decarbonization. And that's why we think that this is not a political debate. Let's leave that aside. And let's look at the technologies and the solutions one by one. And then we showcase, and we wanted to showcase, like Kathy Wood from Mark Invest likes to say, companies with technologies that problem solve. Mm -hmm. And we're solving climate change, which is the biggest threat of our existence, right? We're problem solving that with technology.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We are living it in real time. I live here in Florida, and the strength of the hurricanes that come here are stronger, are more destructive. We're seeing the climate change in our lifetime. And so now it's not a matter of if, but when it's going to directly impact you. And there are so many people who listen to this podcast who want to be investors, but not just for the sake of money. They actually want to feel like they're putting their money towards something that is going to make the world a better place, that is going to make their communities a better place. And they want to support companies who are aligned with those values. But I feel like a lot of ESG funds in general, it's fluff. They have a very loose criteria for what classifies as ESG, and you're not really getting that impact that you want to see. So how is the funds that you're creating through iClima different than what the traditional brokerage houses are creating?
1: Yeah, excellent question. So we think that part of the problem is the idea to put in place... ESG strategies, right? Where you're leading with environmental or social or governance, right? Kathy just launched an ETF that is like a transparency one. So a lot of the funds are being built based on the concept of ESG, which is great. But, and you could hear me saying a but, right? But these ESGs are scorecards, and they're black boxes. So different providers will tell you very different things. And we know that because we enter into non-disclosure agreement with all of them, MSCI, Sustainalytics, ISS, Arabesque, Clarity, S&P, TrueCost, all of them doing great work, amazing teams There's a lot of uh, hard work behind this. ESG became a household acronym. That's all good, but they're black boxes and there's no consensus. So you're basically saying, oh, gee, let's try to represent this theme according to the data that we get, the companies that are scoring high according to A, B, and C. And you end up with products that really, like you're saying, Janice, they don't have a very clear purpose and they don't have a very clear impact. So what do we do? We have a tangible metric. We think about the world in terms of business as usual, products, services, solutions based on high emission fossil fuel, and the world where we can go towards, right? That transition that a lot of us refer to, right? Which is a world with low emissions or even zero emissions. And that delta is a potential avoided emissions in gigatons of CO2 equivalent, right? So we can quantify that. It's a tangible metric. So by looking for the companies that can produce this delta between the business as usual emissions and the new solutions, we can identify the innovators. We can identify the companies that are providing the solutions. So a lot of these funds, they focus on the companies that we refer to as companies doing less harm. For example, Google, Amazon, Microsoft, they're great corporate citizens, they're doing the right thing. They're trying to reduce their emissions. It's called scope to emissions, your indirect emissions from your energy sources. That's your low-hanging fruit, right? If you procure that energy from renewable sources, as opposed to the grid that still has a lot of fossil fuel, you reduce your emissions in a material way. Fantastic. But here comes another but. There is a limit to the impact that comes out of this decarbonization if that is a cost to what you do. We wanted to represent the companies, right, two sides of the same coin, but the providers where their decarbonization is what drives their revenue. Everything they do is in line with that. That's their DNA. I could not have this podcast without talking about Tesla, right? I mean, that's what Tesla is, 100% green revenue, a company that everything that they do has that impact and moves us away from that business as usual. You can go from point A to point B with an internal combustion engine, or you can drive a Tesla. It's a much higher user experience. Prices are coming down. We're very close to parity. Those prices will continue to go down, so going to become even more price competitive. The user experience is fantastic. I love Driving a Tesla? Yes, I know. Tesla owners are very passionate about that. vehicles. Are very vehicles. <laughs> passionate about that, right? And yes, it decarbonizes. So that's what we were trying to represent. And I think, so how is it that we do that allow us to have this strong conviction that our methodology is above? Well, we have that clear purpose, right? We're trying to represent the companies with the solutions that are material that move us away from that business as usual. We have a tangible, very clear metric, which is this potential avoided emissions. It's not a scorecard. It's a tangible metric. It can quantify. And we did that. It took us 18 months, but we did that. And then we have this set of rules so that we do what's called negatively screening. We have rules. So it's very data-driven and rules-based where we say we don't tolerate what we call contamination, some activities that are very much in line with fossil fuels. So there's no exploration and production. There's no fossil fuel names. So with that, we can come up with a portfolio, a list of companies that we think are very much in line with innovation and with very little contamination from this old economy, the business as usual. So we don't think that the ETF players have a similar approach. They're still very much focused on companies doing less harm, right? So without that clear focus or without the clear metric, tangible metric, without very clear set of rules in terms of how they screen the companies that do too much harm. So I think that that's what permeates everything that we do. And then we launched these two funds. One, telling this story, 160 plus names of the companies that are really telling that story Janice, maybe I'll pause here before I tell you more about the companies because I wanted to very much give your audience this idea of what is it that we're talking about. But maybe I'll pause that here first to make yeah. sure that I'm on the I have past. a question because
0: I'm thinking about a company like Tesla or a lot of these companies who rely on battery-powered technology in order to cut our dependency on fossil fuels. And I think one of the biggest concerns that people have is this idea that Cobalt mining is associated with battery production, and a lot of that happens in Africa. There can be a lot of human rights violations that are happening in these types of environments. So how do we balance the need for these resources with the greater mission of what companies are doing? How do we make sure that we're not inadvertently harming one group of people while helping another? So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com dinero, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com dinero now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in.
1: Shopify.com dinero.
0: Yeah, that is investors. a very
1: good question, and it is an issue in the supply chain for batteries. So Congo is more than 50% of the supply of cobalt. We're seeing a lot of R&D in the battery space. Our most recent hire is this lady. She's amazing. She is finishing her PhDs in materials at Oxford, and that's what she does research on battery innovation and technology. So we're moving away from cobalt. Different technologies for the anode and the cathode, right? It gets quite technical, but we're moving away from that and we're starting to recycle. So, point one, we're moving away. There are other materials that are more readily available, not rare minerals that companies like Tesla are trying to move away from cobalt. Point number two battery recycling, we're doing more research on that, it is going to be a very viable to make us more circular in our consumption of batteries. And point number three, there's a big distinction, right, when you think about useful life. If you think about coal, right, you have to mine coal and you have a small piece of that mineral that you burn once. You burn once, you generate a little bit of kilowatt hours out of that coal. You do harm because mining will always inevitably harm the environment. But then you compare that with the minerals that we're talking about that are needed for the batteries, or for the solar panels, right? Silicon, that will have a useful life of 20 plus years. It's going to generate a clean energy for really, really a long time. I have that information. I can share that with you. It's a striking difference. And then towards the end of that useful life, you can recycle. Our recycling techniques are improving and improving. And you bring that back, right? Circular And you bring that back to other applications that are equally sustainable. So yes, we are going to use minerals for this transition, but it's important to make this distinction. There is an element of sustainability for the minerals that you use, right? Burning it only once to generate electricity only that time is much more damaging than if you are going to put this through a product that has a very long, useful life. Yeah. And the
0: whole circular aspect of the life cycle of these products, it makes sense once you understand what the alternative is. So let's talk about these companies that qualify to be in your ETFs. Who are they? Do we know these companies or are they just like
1: mom and You you absolutely (laughs) do. So what we did, not to spend too much time on the technical aspects, when you do an index for an ETF, you have Rules, right? What is it that you're trying to find? And when we built our set of rules, which is called a methodology, we were very much impacted by the foundings of Project Drawdown. It hurts me a little bit in Europe. Paul Hawken is not very well known. Paul Hawken is an American environmentalist. He's in his mid 70s. He lives in California. And between 2014 and 2017, he did this research on all the existing technologies that could be scaled up to bring the planet to that carbon neutrality. And he had a team of over 100 scientists and scholars, and they looked at all these technologies. So what we tried to do, that was very much an aha moment for us, right? So he quantified that roadmap to 2050 net zero point. We tried to bring that to a granular level. We're like, okay, great, this makes so much sense. We can see how the solutions scale up, what is relevant, what is not relevant a few surprises there not to digress but there's some solutions that are very social in nature and given you and me on this podcast and all your audience educating women in developing countries is actually a very material solution is top 10 if i recall correctly is actually solution number 6 because they grow to have less kids and to be engaged in the workforce and there's a decarbonization aspect out of this less resources are needed for Population would be a much growing uh, number otherwise. So there's that aspect. Of course, we couldn't find representation for this type of solution, if you will. But we found a lot of very interesting names, again, being in line with that idea of relevance, right? So telepresence, not a solution that you would have thought about. And Zoom is a company in our universe now is a household name because of COVID out of a sad reason, but that idea that we can communicate, we can sell each other, pitch each other, we can close deals, we can do so much business without necessarily having to fly so much. Then again, it's very affordable, vis a visa, a ticket, it's user experience. People do get tired if you're always constantly on the road, right? And you can accomplish so much more if you jump from one call to another call without having to move around and you avoid emissions because you're not taking that airplane ride electric vehicles obviously it's a big uh, of a subsegment of the solutions but it goes beyond so of course we have no internal combustion engine names right we have just the pure players so Tesla, Neo, and BYD, but we also have companies like Workhorse. Workhorse is the model of the last mile distribution. Think about how Amazon could decarbonize their, what's called scope three, the distribution, the downstream emissions. It's a last mile truck that goes and delivers the packages. But on top of that, they have an electric drone that sits on top, And they're getting approval for this. So hopefully, you know, it will be a year or so. The roof opens up and the drone goes and does further distribution. That's (laughs) that's that's genius, right? (laughs) That's a company called Workhorse. Then we have, of course, plant-based diet. The idea that cattle comes with a lot of emissions from deforestation in my country, home country, Brazil. We burn forests to have farms to raise cattle. So Oatly was a somewhat recent IPO Beyond Meat, I love Beyond Meat burgers. I eat them all the time. So we have this type of companies that are household names. Hello Fresh is originally a German company, but I think they're big in the States as well. And they do the meal kits. One I've of the been a biggest... loyal fan of them for a Oh, long have time. you? <laughs> Fantastic. It's a company in our universe because that's the idea. There's so much less waste, right? You yeah. buy just what you need. And that waste that ends up in a landfill and produces this gas called methane that is in the first 20 years, 80 times more damaging than carbon dioxide. So those are some solutions that people are familiar with. But then, of course, we have smart meters and smart thermostats. And the idea that we can now, with gadgets, right, with our phone, manage our consumption. We still use a lot of uh, fossil fuel for heating purposes. So if you're working from home, you manage that. But if you're back at the office, the house is empty. Just switch off the thermostat. So these solutions are here and that technology allows us to do that. We have one subsector that was an incredible performance last year, which is the fuel cells. Companies like Plug Power and Ballard, maybe the audience is not so familiar with that, but that is the key equipment and technology inside Well, that would enable and allow the green hydrogen. And that's the idea that with all this abundance of renewable energy that we are luckily going to have, you can split the water molecule right, the H2O, and you have the hydrogen that you can then store and use for different applications. So what you need is an electrolyzer that splits the water molecule, and then you have the fuel cells that are kind of like a battery, that would then use these hydrogens. That was a phenomenal subsector for us last year. In talking about circular economy, we have companies that are doing a lot of R&D on how to break. There's a company that does enzymes just to break plastic so we can recycle plastic and have that secondary market for the recycled plastic be more price competitive than the virgin plastic we have DocuSign, for example, is maybe you use DocuSign. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> right, exactly. And I love it because in their website, every time you use a document, right, they summarize in a cute banner, many trees were not cut, how much water was not wasted, right? I love that. It's very commonsensical. It's very easy for us to understand. So you see, we wanted to bring to market this comprehensive set of solutions. It's not just renewable energy and electric vehicle, right? It's a lot of the solutions allow us to live our lives moving away from that high emission. And that's why we were hoping that we would appeal to the retail space because it's a one-stop shop, right? You get this ETF and you get exposure to all these different, very relevant solutions. And the hypothesis was that because the companies are doing what the world really needs, right? That they were going to perform well because mm-hmm. they would sell very well. I'll give you one last example and then we we'll pause for you to lead this discussion. But a company like Sunrun, Sunrun in California, epitomizes that idea of distributed generation the solar rooftop associated with a battery. And then that allows you to not necessarily go off grid, but be almost self sufficient. And then if you have the Tesla car or the car of the future that will have what's called vehicle to greed, the battery inside the car, you can use that battery to power your house. Folks in Texas really Mm -hmm. wish they had that in place last February. So you save money from day one if you adopt that solution, and that house of the future is here. And it could be a zero-emission house if you have the heat pump replacing your boiler, you have the electric vehicle replacing the internal combustion engine, and you save money if you do all of these things, and you have a very cool, self-sufficient house. So that's a sector that is very well represented in what we're doing, and we felt so strongly about that that we actually, the second fund, It's just focused on that story of distributed generation that is really going to change our world in a very material way. That is fascinating stuff. And I'm so glad that
0: you called out companies because I think a lot of people have this misconception that there's not mainstream or global companies who are already adopting this technology and who are not making it the foundation of their business model. And that's not true. So instead of stressing out about researching stocks and figuring out which company to invest in, with the beauty of an ETF that is specifically geared towards whatever theme you're looking to support, it's done for you, right? So you can know that you are supporting all of this technology in one place.
1: Love that. Thank you for taking the stress out of <laughs>
0: that process for us.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much. That's exactly our motivation. It took us 18 months and full time, you know, some weeks close to 100 hours a week. We were so obsessed about that in a team of seven people doing this day in, day out, we wanted to do it right. And we wanted to quantify and we wanted to check that the companies were very much in line with change, representing that innovation. And then when we put this together, we're like, okay, we love it. We think this is good. This is (laughs) good. Absolutely.
0: Okay, so I think there's also this misconception where if you support environmentally conscious or socially conscious companies, that your returns will somehow not be as robust as supporting a traditional S&P 500 fund or something like that. Is that true? Or is that just BS that we're being sold in order to not support these funds?
1: No, it's not true at all. And we do get asked that question a lot, right? So this distributed generation fund, I need to make this distinction, otherwise compliance will kill me. We were not live in the States last year. So if we refer to these returns, they are in what's called backtesting, is before the ETF was actually live. But just to give an order of magnitude, this distributed generation, there's so much growth embedded in it. We were up more than 100%. And those were 50 names equal weight so that shows you that the performance is solid across. This is really robust. We were very much in line with kind of like ARK Invest type of theme and type of returns. I don't know anybody who'd said about 100% returns. (laughs) But a distinction that I think it's very relevant is there are risks. We're going to be, until 2030, I think, you know, with the eye on the ball, 2030 is a very important milestone. There is going to be a lot of growth, a lot of disruption as we transition, right, to this low emission kind of... It's not going to be a... 2030, there's no chance on Earth that we will get to be below... 50% 50% of our current emissions, right? The best uh, that we can hope for and work towards is cutting emissions by half by 2030. So that's why 2030 is such an important milestone. So there's going to be a lot of investments. Your infrastructure is in line with that. There is going to be a lot of growth. There will be winners and there will be losers. And I think that that was a big motivation for me talking to you today was to share with your audience these, right? So look under the hood. ESG is exactly the opposite. The companies that are more sustainable, they can. There's a lot of people at my business school doing a lot of research on that. There is evidence that they outperform because the companies are more sustainable. There's a correlation with being better managed. They'll be there for the long run. So then that present value of that future stream of cash flow, right, is more robust There is that concept, but you have to look under the root. You have to go deeper. You have to ask the questions. Am I being greenwashed? Is this product with climate change in the name, but then under the hood, you have a a lot of oil and gas names, and there's a lot of products from big players that do exactly that. And you can think about somebody who's claiming to have an
0: environmentally conscious fund And including the conventional car companies because they have models of electric vehicles, but that's not the bulk of their business, right? So you have to make sure you're really, like you said, looking under the hood.
1: Exactly. So that's why one of our tangible metrics is that percentage of revenue. We refer to that as percentage of green revenue and percentage of brown revenue. Not every company in our universe is a Tesla that is 100% green, 0% brown revenue. But we quantify that so that we can exactly, and we're very open source, we share all of that is in our website, you can see most all of our companies don't have Contamination and the contamination is within a range that we find acceptable and is not associated with oil and gas exploration or production. So look under the hood, do the research, and think very much in terms of this big picture. Is this company in line with business as usual? Is this company and this investment in line with change? Within change, of course, you will be taking risks, right? As you try to commercialize new concepts, electric vehicles. I mean, it's a history in the making, right? What Elon Musk did with Tesla is just the word remarkable doesn't do justice. But a lot of risks in that type of investment. But we think that these companies have very robust technologies, very compelling price points, other positive externalities on the user experience, and plant-based is just better for your health. And then, yes, they do decarbonize, but that's why we think that that decision to embrace the companies, the products, the services, and then the funds, right? it's going to be a very rational one because in the end, it's irrelevant how you vote These solutions are needed and they're very compelling for a variety of solutions, not just because they decarbonize.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think you mentioned this in the beginning of our discussion, but it it really is not a matter of if, but when the impacts of us ignoring this climate change is going to come to the forefront. So I think as investors or aspiring investors, the more we can feel like we're playing an active role with our money and our decisions as consumers, the more we can say like we're making an actual impact versus just aspiring to change the world. I agree.
1: I could not agree more. Yeah.
0: I'm curious as a woman in this very male centric space, have you ever come up against some resistance while you were going through creating this fund and this project and people just telling you you're crazy, this is never going to work, why would you invest your time, your energy in this? How do you combat those types of messaging that I think so many of us can battle with when we're coming into spaces where we might be the first?
1: I think it's conviction. My co-founder and I were two, right? Female-led business and Sometimes it works to our advantage. Sometimes, you know, like you stand out in the crowd and people remember you because you're not just like white hair, white man, right? So sometimes actually it works to our benefit. But I think the conviction and the motivation to do something that we really believed in, I think you really go in life. And I tell my kids, I have three, align your heart and your mind and then you'll be very much unstoppable because you will be able to do better and better, and you will apply yourself. And then with that, great things will come your way. So there's that. And I think that because we expected resistance, our level of persistency was very high to begin with, right? We didn't expect it to be easy, and we expected people to question. So then you overprepare because you want it so badly and you believe in it so much, and you think that this is going to be impactful and is the right thing to do. And then you will find a bit of natural selection. You will find the people that where the message resonates with. And that was our third co-founder. He's 25 years, our senior. And he worked in undergrad in Harvard Business School, MBA. And we gave him the pitch and he was like, I love it. I need to support you guys because you're doing the right thing. The product is right. Here's my Rolodex. Here are some of my friends, all like him, British American, mid-60s, Wasp. Off you go. And then you get invalidation from... People that just really like it and then it snowballs a little bit, right? And then you yeah. find the like-minded people, and we got a lot of encouragement from our partners in the US. You gotta bring this message to the US. And we crossed the Atlantic in July, and we're super happy to be doing this in the US. We're learning as we go, right? Being more present in social media. We didn't do that in Europe. We don't do that much in Europe because here is ninety percent institutional. So you have mm-hmm. this conversation more with like the group of people that their jobs is all about ESG sustainability, right? right? It's quite different, but we're learning along the way. And then I think provided that your commitment comes from the heart, I don't know, maybe it's a very female thing to be saying. But <laughs> it, it's what works for the two of us. We really believe in what we're doing. We really think it's relevant. We really think that there's a more interesting and exciting way of investing and putting these portfolios together. And the misconceptions that comes at the expense of a return, we're saying, no, oh, it's the opposite. And then in a way, you know, having a mentor figure, I've never met Kathy Wood one day, I hope I will. I'm part of what's called the Women in ETF. And she was the keynote speaker in this year's annual event, which was obviously virtual. But hopefully, who knows, next year we'll be able to do that. He's in Florida, so maybe I'll be able to ah. come and say <laughs> hello to you as well. And I think seeing that she did it, she broke the glass ceiling big time with conviction, right? She has conviction in what she's doing. And my God, she's always spot on, right? She's been really right in so many levels. And that gave us inspiration. That gave us motivation and energy.
0: Absolutely. I can feel your energy through the screen. I am so glad that you are in this space, that you are creating these amazing opportunities for us to invest in making the world a better place. And so for folks that want to find out more about iClima and the ETFs and everything that you guys, I'm sure, will continue to do in this space, where's the best place for us to find
1: you? Yeah, our website, iClima, Clima, Clima, Earth.
0: Love it. Oh
1: my gosh. I am so
0: inspired by you, Gabby. Thank you so much for being here. Do you have any final thoughts before we sign off?
1: Well, I think we're hopeful. We think that we have a shot at getting to that 2030 milestone of cutting emissions by half or close to it. We think that we're going through this transition in a speed that is incredible. I wanted to leave a final thought that I think kind of summarizes how fast and how profound this is going to be. So that idea of generating your own electricity at point of consumption, different researchers say different metrics, but in about 20 years from now, more than 80% of us will be prosumers, producers and consumers. So our houses will be our own power plants. And we will potentially be more than self-sufficient. And when you travel or you don't have demand, you're going to sell that using, guess what, blockchain, right? And peer-to-peer trading. (laughs) And that technology is all there. And you will sell your surplus back to the grid, And this is really sustainable. And this is better for the grid. It's better for us as consumers. So these prosumers, this is massive. We're going to be shaking up one of the most capital intensive industries on the planet, right? So there's that. And then a second idea, just how big this is, is cars as we know it, I mean, they will be long gone in just a few years. Kathy Wood talks a lot about autonomous driving, And she talks about computers on wheels. We go one step further and we say computerized power plant on wheels because of that battery storage that we were talking about earlier in that vehicle to grid. So these cars will be driving around, right, in a very different way from the way we see cars as of now. And the utilization rate will be much higher, which is quite sustainable. And those batteries inside school buses and all the fleet will be managed in a very economical way, making use of all these mobile clean energy storage that will be inside all of these vehicles. This is profoundly different to what we got used to. And it will happen because the technology is there and because it makes economic sense. So with that, just wanted to tell your audience, embrace change. It's happening. And be mindful of that. There will be lots of winners, very exciting investments in the space, but there will be also lots of losers. So next 10 years will be bringing a lot of investment opportunities, a lot of risks as well. So do your homework, learn as much as you can and go deep, right? Yeah.
0: I don't know about you, but I am so excited to see what the future holds. I think back to being a teenager and sending my first email and the internet and all this stuff. And I can only imagine with the support of investors like us, what these companies are going to be able to accomplish for the next generation. So thank you so much for the work that you do. I'm super excited to see what the world turns into with these innovative companies.
1: Yeah, exactly. Watch this face, isn't it? Yes. No, Thank you so much. It was really a pleasure. I really appreciate the opportunity. Delighted to be connecting with your audience through you. Yeah, let's keep in touch.
0: <laughs> for sure. Thank you so much for being here. No, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, The Ultimate Blueprint for Becoming Poderosa with Your Dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.